Welcome to The Build Up. I'm Kirk Pinhop. And I'm Arielle Cass. We cover real estate for Cranes Detroit Business. Together, we're launching this podcast to give you the inside scoop on commercial real estate. We'll be bringing in experts from across the industry to offer their perspectives on the biggest issues they face today and what challenges they expect for the future. This is The Build Up. Today's guests are Monique Becker and Elise Wolf, the co-founders of Mona Lisa Living. They grew up together, went to the University of Michigan together, and now live together, and they've started a business together as well. Mona Lisa, which is a combination of both of their names, is a development, general contracting, and consulting firm with a small but growing portfolio of rental housing. Monique has spent time as a teacher as well as working for Detroit-based development firms, The Platform and Shelbourne Development. Elise was with Eastern Market Corporation and then Meridian Health Plan but they've left these full-time jobs behind to launch the company, investing several hundred thousand dollars into affordable housing in Detroit's Virginia Park neighborhood. Last year, they were Crane's Detroit Business 20 in their 20s honorees. Monique and Elisa, thanks for joining us on The Build Up. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. So the two of you refer to yourselves as sisters since four. Can you talk to us a little bit about the challenges of working with your best friend, especially somebody who you've known for decades before you even thought about going into business together? Yeah, the the challenges, like the work never ends. Like it's really hard to have any types of boundaries when you live together, work together, like play to get, just like do everything together. Um, Yeah, we definitely have other friends of ours kind of sometimes having to like tell us to pump the brakes on things because we'll just bring up like, oh, we got a text about something. And, you know, now we start chatting about it. Um, So yeah, that was definitely a a good one um, in terms of the boundaries. And of course, sometimes, you know, we might go back and forth about some things and we know each other so well. So maybe that leads to a little bit of bickering here and there. But at the same time, we know each other so well. So it's so easy to work through those little arguments and and come to a good resolution. How easy or difficult has it been to do that? I think it's been easier as time has gone on for sure. And as we've just kind of learned, you know, each other in this situation of developing a business together. Like one thing that, you know, we've established is sort of setting up um, certain times where we, you know, talk about certain subjects. And like one example of that is, you know, having like discussions about our overall finances. And so we just like could never come to a time where, you know, it worked for us to like set up a meeting at nine in the morning to do something like that. So now our new thing is that we're going to go out to dinner or have a cocktail. And that's when we kind of have those conversations and they've been super productive. So I think it's just figuring out where it fits best in our day where we can kind of relax if it's a stressful topic and um, you know, have that discussion really peacefully. Can you talk a little bit about the business tasks, how you all divide the work? So yeah, Elise and I, our brains are different. We have different strong suits. Um, so it kind of works out nicely. We don't tend to like step on each other's toes. I think I tend to kind of look at overall like development strategy, um, design approach, Um, And whereas like Elise kind of falls more into some of like technical pieces, um, like construction and accounting. Um, And so we kind of have a nice division of labor there, just like naturally kind of what our passions and like interests are at. And so, yeah, I think we've been fortunate that it's we haven't kind of 
had to say, well, I want to work on that and I want to work on that too. It's like, right. oh, you do you and like, I'll do what I want to do. Yeah. It just always like made sense from the get go. Like, you know, I was going to do more of those technical pieces. And, you know, of course we kind of are able to tap each other when we need help. Um, but it's nice to have, you know, those kind of clear divisions. If I recall properly, um, uh, there's been like some family support as well too, right? You have some people in your families that are in the trades and work on the social media side of things as well, right? So as far as like the social media side of things go, we've actually like broken away from our family and um, and hired an outside uh, consultant to kind of help us with strategy and, and marketing, you know, refining our approach and our brand to be more aligned with who we are. Um, you know, right now, the work that we like to do and also, um, you know, to better position us for the work that we want to do in the future. But the family has still been at the heart of our construction business, particularly when we're self-performing as GCs for our own development projects. Yeah, my grandpa, who is widely known as Gramps. <laughs> Um, the he's infamous. the infamous Gramps. <laughs> he is definitely the one who like taught us like the foundations of construction. He's the ones who like really gave us like the motivation, um, and know how to do it for ourselves. When we, when we bought our first house, he just kind of like jumped into action, was so excited that we were like going to start doing this type of work. He's a retired electrician and just like overall, like amazing carpenter, general handy person. And so, you know, he's, he's like always by our side, you know, which is just like an amazing support. Um, and like, even, even Monique's mom, like we, she, she's everywhere as well. That's we true. actually manage a property um, that her parents own in the, in the North end. And so, and her mom like has an amazing like design eye. And so, you know, we just have so many folks around us. Like we're, we're so fortunate that our family like has a knack for this type of stuff and, you know, is, is always willing to lend a hand. How did the, uh, uh, Genesis happen between the name shift? Cause originally when we last spoke, it was Mona Lisa development and now it's Mona Lisa living. Why, uh, what, what led to that sort of evolution in the naming? we've actually expanded into upper Michigan and we've bought some, some property right outside of Mackinac city. And, um, you know, with kind of expansion up North and then aspirations to do work outside in other markets as well, the kind of development, um, you know, comes with negative connotations a lot of times, and it doesn't need to necessarily have that, especially at the scale that we are. Um, so it just, it felt like it was time to kind of like shake the old and, and redefine what kind of development looks like. And really it's about kind of quality of life and creating beautiful spaces to, to live in and, and for people to enjoy. We want to get to the uh, up north bureau of uh, Mona Lisa living here in, in just a minute, but I want to go back a little bit to sort of the origins of how you how you both ended up in Virginia Park and what led you to that community. Both of us, when we first moved to Detroit, you know, we graduated from U of M, as you said, we moved to Detroit and we were renting in different areas of the city. And, you know, we just really were, you know, we wanted to move back in together. We had been apart for too long, one year. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it, we started realizing that it made sense for us to, to purchase a property. And so, Honestly, we started shopping around, um, I think what we first started looking around like the North End area 
And for what we were looking for, we realized like the, the market was a little too high at the time. And so we came across our first house and it honestly was one of those moments where it just like felt like the stars aligned, like it was exactly what we were looking for. Um, it was like the perfect amount of renovation for what we felt like we could handle at the time. It had this awesome like fenced in side lot that we just knew that we needed for our future dogs. And um, so it, it really was natural. And we just fell in love with like the community and all of our neighbors as soon as we moved in. Um, and so that's kind of what what uh, made us stay. <laughs> I want to go back for a minute to that first house you bought. Um, it was a duplex, right? You were living yep. in one half and renovating and renovating the other yep. and then renting it out. What was the experience of that like to be living on one side, working on the other, have people, you know, moving in? Can you talk to talk a little bit about what, you know, what it was like to live through that? Yeah, well, we got really used to having the worst house out of all of our portfolio. Um, <laughs> so, you know, when like taking our limited resources and, and fixing up units or, you know, purchasing other properties, um, we just really like focused all of our like energy efforts, resources on making these beautiful spaces for other folks. Like meanwhile, like our kitchen sink was falling off the wall. Like we had like peeling paint everywhere, but yeah, finally we just actually renovated our own kitchen. Um, which was extremely exciting. And we did like a really dramatic, like two huge tile walls um, to really just like go over the top since we waited six years to do that. But yeah, I mean, I think it's just been like a really like humbling experience, you know, like we see what it takes to make things beautiful and it's not easy. Um, and so, you know, it's made us like really appreciate what, what we do have um, and also just like find ways to make what we have in whatever state it is like really beautiful and feel homey and comfortable. And so, yeah, I just, I feel like it's also like helped to teach us like how to make a house a home, even if it's not this amazing, beautiful, like picturesque space now. And you have a kind of co-living space too. Is that right? Yeah. That's um kind of our model. Um, a lot of times like folks, you know, can't afford to rent a whole unit. They don't want to rent a whole unit. They don't want to live alone, um, you know, kind of similar to us. And so it's been nice to be able to kind of find people who value that type of community and to be able to create spaces like that and cultivate um, spaces that allow for both, you know, that affordability, flexibility, and that ability to kind of cohabitate with other cool people like doing interest and stuff in the city. Can you talk a little bit about equitable development, what it means to you and how you enact it? I think for us, it just kind of comes in like a lot of different ways. And we always um, are really big on kind of sharing in our knowledge. Um, and actually, one of our clients is Building Community Value, the um, nonprofit that teaches Detroiters uh, how to do real estate development. Elise and I actually both took the course um, and, you know, now I manage the program, but actually giving people the insights into like how to get started in development with what you have 
and like sharing our story is a big way that we do that. Um, and in BCV, we talk a lot about the house hack model, which is like exactly what we did. Get a duplex, you know, you get owner occupied financing, you live in one unit, you rent out the other. Um, and then you start to build up some money to then put into the next house. Um, and so that's kind of one way that we just try to teach people like, and show people like get involved where you can, mm-hmm. like you don't know what the opportunity can be. And it may feel small now, but you don't know what it, where it could lead you. Yeah. I think that's huge. And, you know, even on like the construction side, I think our motto like, isn't always just like rush to finish a project, like as fast as we can so that we can move on to the next one. I mean, of course, like we want to finish them in a timely manner, but like, you know, we've really, um prioritize like working with other subcontractors that are small businesses that maybe like if we can find them they they live and work in our neighborhood they're minority businesses or other women-owned businesses and you know what we've experienced we're a small team so like that just doesn't mean we can do everything super speed all the time but just making sure that we really include those folks in our projects and um, you know, build good relationships with the people who are more on our plane, um, you know, even if, you know, that means that that our schedule is a little longer. You touched on one of the things that I think is probably pretty key when it comes to owning and operating a small development company, which is financing. Um, it's not not easy to come by. Um, there are hoops and hurdles you got to jump through to get it. Um, What sort of challenges did you run into in securing financing for your initial and current projects? Of course, like that seems like it's always everyone's biggest challenge and it has been a big challenge for us as well. Um, You know, I guess most recently we had a construction loan on um, one of our projects that, um, you know, we were able to work with the, local slash regional cdfi to get that loan for and we you know went to refinance that project and um you know we did we went around to um quite a number of local banks and we were unable to to refinance it locally and so we ended up um you know working through that alone with um a national private lender um you know so we were ultimately able to to get the refinance done, but, you know, we really were hoping to be able to do that locally so that we could spread the word like this, this product is available for these housing types that are super common in the city. And um, so, you know, it it definitely was a bit discouraging to see that, um, you know, it wasn't available. And it just, it's definitely like a challenge um, to see that those funding products are kind of fewer and, and further between. What was the sort of logic or the reasoning given for being denied that type of that type of instrument? I feel like in a couple of cases we weren't really given a clear reason. We were kind of just ghosted, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, I mean, of course, it's it, it's frustrating um, because you know you, you we thought that that this would be something that was like pretty pretty standard um, here in the city and you kind of hear, um, you know, a different like conversations and, you know, through peers that, um, you know, like how big of a challenge it it is, but, um, you know, until the kind of reality sets in and you kind of try to, to go forth with that yourself, um, it's, it's a little disheartening. 
what suggestions or advice do you have for other small developers who are having challenges getting funding? Team up with people. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're having a hard time getting funding on, on a project, then try to team up with others and pool your resources you know, a lot of it too for small developers comes down to kind of having a track record and being able to show like two to three projects or two to three years. So sometimes it becomes this kind of like chicken and egg, like you need, you need the the experience and the time in order to get the loan, but you need money to be able to get that experience. So if you're not there yet, then try to team up with others, try to maybe take on a smaller project that you can do with your resources that you do have, you know, you have to start somewhere um, and you can, you can build from there. Um, but don't be discouraged if you're getting a lot of no's, but maybe take that to mean that you should maybe refine your approach a little bit and, and right size what you're trying to do given where you're at financially. Is there a, a vision that you came into the business with and has that vision been consistent or has it changed as, as the business has progressed? Yeah, no. So, I mean, we, well, especially given like our recent rebrand, you know, our, our vision has definitely shifted. Um, we've shifted, you know, our like revenue streams from consulting, being really heavily on consulting to more um, heavy on general contracting. And our general contracting work in Detroit, uh, which is going to be our, our focus here in the city, will allow us then the flexibility and the, you know, create ability to be more creative, you know, going back to up north um, with, with our property that we have up north. Um, and so, you know, we really do see um, our projects here and our Airbnbs here as like huge canvases, like they're big income generating, you know, art projects. Um, and so, you know, it is really important for us to maintain those here. And, you know, we're excited to not pick up a lot more like Detroit properties in the near future and just kind of refine the ones that we do have and give them more love and attention um, while kind of being able to open up some some capacity to um, experiment with different development types and some new construction up north um, and kind of more um, expanding our kind of hospitality interests in an area where like tourism is really supported. Um, so yeah, we've definitely like refined from development consulting to doing our own thing, Mona Lisa living out here. <laughs> That's a good segue into the Mona Lisa Up North Bureau. Um, and I'm hoping you can talk a little bit about the, the geographic departure um, going from Detroit to, it sounds like they're saying near Mackinac City. Um, what, what made you uh, uh, shift gears a little bit? What first kind of inspired us to go up north, honestly, was like, I mean, I guess this probably wasn't the first inspiration, but really what made us like pull the trigger was like having this like week long trip up on Mackinac Island last summer and just like feeling like we sort of wanted a place to escape a little bit and to like have like an area where we could really like connect with nature and it was like big and expansive and like be able to really like flesh out some ideas that maybe like weren't going to be as possible in like a city 
environment. Um, and so, you know, we honestly, like, I think Monique was like very casually like looking on, on Zillow one day. And like, we saw, it was almost like this same kind of stars aligning moment where we just like put the idea out there and like, you know, didn't really like think it was going to happen so immediately. And then just like found a property that really was like perfect, um, for, you know, for what we needed and what we were looking for. Um, and so, you know, we just sort of like contacted the the realtor and like let it all um, unfold. And so the property that we purchased is on 11 acres and there's two structures on the property. One of them is a modular home um, that had been rented for years. And so, you know, it's in, um, you know, it's in move in ready shape. And then the other structure is actually um, currently a duplex. So of course we find like the one duplex that's up there um, and uh, that one needs some renovation. And so that's, um, you know, the project that we'll be working on this summer, but, you know, with 11 acres, there's, um, you know, a, a part of the property that actually is um, runs alongside a really small inland lake. Um, there's just like a, a lot of um, possibilities for ideas that, that we would love to experiment with in terms of like new construction um, and even like in the interim, like being able to have different like campground spaces and stuff. So um, like absolutely just like, you know, it's kind of started from that idea of, um, you know, really wanting like a, a place to be able to go and like rest our minds and and be creative and and just like explore um northern michigan what's different from a business perspective up there versus down here so um during the pandemic everyone's stuck at home trying to get away we're trying to find a hot tub in a place that doesn't look like you know it's stuck in the 90s or like you're kind of in like a creepy cabin type of feel somewhere up north so we really were like seeing that there's an opportunity here to create these like really zhuzhed up, you know, personality rich, you know, unique um, short term rental experiences where you feel like, yeah, I'm going to pay all this money because they're, they're not cheap, but I'm going to also feel like I'm getting this kind of like contemporary cool experience, something that, you know, I know that like we, we seek out in a lot of folks that, that we know. Um, also are looking for that kind of new rustic experience. And so, um, you know, we saw that there really is an opportunity there to do something different, to do something a little bit more refined while still being approachable and comfortable. And so, you know, we kind of for years, like looked at the market, there wasn't one. And so we're excited to be able to kind of help to create that um there you know help to kind of move the needle forward in the you know short-term hospitality space in a way that you know it's not like super high luxury but it's not just kind of someone you know renting out their space when they're not there and so um you know there's that and then also just like zoning is completely different um up north and in in the smaller towns um does you it know, even exist up there? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, that's what we're looking forward to. There's a bunch of different, you know, call them like accessory dwelling units on like a lot of people's properties. And so you really have like that liberty to to do 
what you would like to do. And so we're really excited to kind of bring a lot of our um, kind of uh, friends and collaborators, colleagues that we've worked with downstate, bring that like creative energy and that like kind of frustration with some of the bureaucracy downstate uh, up, up north to be able to really, you know, create this beautiful Mona Lisa Mackinac Haven one mile down from the Mackinac City Golf Course and, you know, really be able to welcome folks to this um, kind of retreat-like experience, you know, both inside the home and then also kind of spilling out into, you know, the 11 acres and the private lake and um, with some campsites and whatnot. You know, we just, we feel like the possibilities are endless and the kind of like tourism um, and also just kind of like development space uh, you know, is more supported because they want opportunities and, um, you know, they want to attract people there. And, you know, we think that we have some some good ideas and the right folks to help us, you know, bring the ideas to life to be able to to create some nice, you know, destination locations for people. So you both are young women in development, which is an industry that's, um, you know, mostly older men. And I wanted to know what challenges you faced as uh, as you've continued in the field. Well, I would say my challenges mostly occur in the construction field. And um, honestly, there's a lot of um, unwanted advances sometimes. Um, so, you know, you just got to go ahead and fend those off and, and keep it moving and keep it business. Um, we definitely have the experience of, you know, just being kind of like, talk to like you're not like as informed or in the know um but I think that's been like kind of the beauty of like really building relationships with like you know I'll speak for on the construction side like different subcontractors and folks that we work for work with um because they've gotten to know us and really like respect how um you know we're sure we don't know everything because we have not been working in this industry for as many years as some of them have but like we're we're really um you know always learning and always trying to to grow our knowledge and um you know oftentimes i think like those people end up being impressed with how much like we do we do know and that you know we also like have taken the time to really learn how to do things ourselves um, and so, you know, we're not just like talking the talk, we walk the walk too. You know, I think, you know, there's always going to be challenges with that, but I, I just don't think that we've like let that, you know, get us down or like make us not pursue, um, this path. How do you react to people either who are, you know, hitting on you and you have to fend them off or who don't expect that you have the, the knowledge and the abilities that you do have? I mean, sometimes like those just end up people being people that like we might not work with again. I think we also like we're very direct people. Um, so if it's something that like makes us feel uncomfortable, um, we have no issue in like speaking up and kind of setting the record straight. Like, yeah, I, I approach this work with like a lot of humility. I think Elise and I both do. And that's kind of the ethos of our our company. But it's there's always a balance of like being like humble and then like the bravado that like you see sometimes with guys like especially in the development space um and like you know there's a lot of know-it-alls in this business 
And so just kind of sometimes being like taking it in and just kind of listening to better understand like what a real issue is on the development project and not just trying to kind of opine in without like having all the understanding. Um, you know, that's kind of been like a balance because that kind of quietness or not like the not like being like immediately like direct or immediately in your face can be taken as like weakness. And so um, I don't know, I think that I've just kind of learned to just like observe and like I'm thinking in the back of my head, like, okay, I see what you're doing here. Like, I already know, like, you know, you don't have to tell me. So, you know, I think that I've just kind of gotten used to that. And then, you know, when I do um, speak up on something or I do begin to like lead an aspect then you know, kind of like what Elise was saying, like the work speaks for itself. Um, and, you know, I think up north, that's something definitely that we're going to have to work with, because I think that there's probably even like fewer women, mm-hmm. you know, that's doing true. this work up there. And so I think that it's, you know, just kind of being a little bit more well versed and like doing some more research on some of the landscapes up there, finding our like key people and trying to, you know, build some mentorship relationships up there to understand how to navigate it so that we're not just kind of seen as these, you know, young women who don't know what they're doing, um, approaching the business, but, you know, we, we do have strong personalities. We're stronger together and, you know, we're like, whatever, we're just going to do us anyway. So, you know, it hasn't, it hasn't held us back. What would be your biggest, what you consider to be a mistake in, uh, in business so far? I know it's been just a few years, but your biggest mistake in business and, and how did you, how did you address that and overcome it? Hiring, hiring, like grow, growing our team before we were ready for that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we, it's just, it takes a lot to, to manage people, to train people. I think we took for granted, um, you know, that like, we're the business owners, we're the entrepreneurs. So we're going to like really go above and beyond just naturally. Um, and bringing people on our team who didn't necessarily have that same kind of like work ethic or spirit. It's not always something you can kind of train. Um, so, you know, I think we spent time, um, and energy resources, like putting it into other people who weren't necessarily like ready for the opportunity, um, instead of maybe putting it back into the business and even like actually some training on ourselves on like how to manage people and, and things like that. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. Yeah, yeah, thank you guys for really having nice. us. Thank you very much.